Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Reading is from John chapter 21, verses 1 to 19. After the reading of the word, I will say this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying thanks be to God. John 21, 1 to 19. After Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, it, uh, it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not recognize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far away, f- they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same thing with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But as you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you for that wonderful reading. I don't know if Femi mentioned, this is my first time in Africa, period. And uh, there's a lot that I don't understand, even though the language is the same. I don't get Femi's jokes. And, uh, oh, you don't either. Okay. Uh, But what is wonderful is that the Word of God translates to any culture, doesn't it? And so I trust God will speak to us through His Word today. A number of years ago, uh, our family was eating dinner. 
And my son, who was about eight at the time, uh, looked up at me and he said, Dad, did you know that God knows every word in a book before we even open the book? And I said, yeah, God's pretty amazing like that. And then he paused and he reflected for a moment just where he was, and then he sighed to himself and he said, I wish I was amazing. <laughs> I laughed too. And then I realized he had spoken something that is deep in the heart of every man and woman. We want to be amazing. We want to be strong and successful, or at least we want people to think that we're strong and successful. Even at church, when we feel distant from God in our hearts, what do we do? We still pretend like all is well because we want to be thought of as a good Christian don't we? Most of us have a hard time dealing with our weaknesses and failures. And there's all kinds of failures, aren't there? There's moral failures, relationship failures, business failures, things, ways that you want to change, things you want to accomplish that just haven't happened despite your best efforts. And, and when all of these things come into view, we have a really, we don't know what to do with them. We try to hide them. We try to avoid them. We try to excuse them. We try to blame other people for them. We don't know what to do with them. And that raises the question, what does God do with them? What does God do with your failures? To answer that question, we're going to look at one of the most well-known failures in the Bible, Peter. You know about Peter's failures? Uh, let's bring it fresh to mind. Let me take you back to a couple of conversations, a couple of scenes, if you will. This will be a little bit like one of those movies where you have flashbacks and they inform the current narrative, okay? John 21 is built upon these little flashbacks. And so here's a couple. After the Last Supper, in Luke 22, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it. But after the Last Supper, there was an argument among the disciples about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. That's the kind of conversations they were having. And Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, thank you for praying for me. No. Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will crow this, will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. In the parallel passage in Matthew 26, we get a few more details Matthew says, Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered, but after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered him, Oh, we will see you there, sir. No. Peter says, Though they all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. After this, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane where they were to keep watch and pray. And Jesus kept coming back to check on them. What were they doing? Sleeping. How many times? Three times. When Jesus was arrested, Peter followed him at a distance until they reached the courtyard of Caiaphas, the high priest, 
And John tells us in John 18 that the servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? Peter said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire, John says, because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves, and Peter also with them, standing and warming himself. And they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. And the language is strong. He is like calling a curse down upon himself if he's lying. One of the servants of the high priest asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Because he had seen Peter cut, cut his cousin's ear off. You remember that kind of thing. Peter again denied it. And Luke tells us that at that moment, while Peter was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at him, caught his eye. You know, like when your kid's doing something they're not, and you, you catch them? Like that. And Luke says, Peter went out and wept bitterly. You know, there's a lot of differences between the four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, particularly between John and the others. But there's one thing they all have in common. They all chronicle the failures of Peter. Because you know you've been around that guy who talks a lot of trash and talks a big game, and whenever he falls, you tell that story. Right? But think about it. Why do they do this? I mean, if you are trying to um, write about and help catalyze this new movement, aren't you going to write about it in a favorable light? Like, why would you? You wouldn't include these stories. You wouldn't highlight the failures of one of the prominent leaders. Why do they do that? Because the gospel accounts are not propaganda. They're eyewitness reports of what actually happened. And this is what actually happened to Jesus' closest followers. This is what happened to Peter. And brothers and sisters, this is what happens with us. This is all background for where we're going to be today in John 21. If you have a Bible, I don't have, I'm not prepared with the screens. So if you have a Bible and want to open that up and follow along, I invite you to do that. By the time we get to John 21, Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's appeared to the women at the tomb. He's appeared to uh, the disciples a couple of times. He's appeared to many people, Paul tells us. And in John 21, he is now appearing to the disciples for the third time by the Sea of Galilee. Now, this is going to be a little bit different of a sermon Uh, I don't know what Femi does, but usually I would give you three points, and then we would kind of work out those points. Is that transnational as well? Okay. Uh, But this is a narrative, and it's a a exquisitely written story. And so I just want to walk through the story verse by verse, and then we'll kind of pull the main points out as we go. Okay? John John 21, verse 1. After this... Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee, and he revealed himself in this way. And so what's the key word already? In verse 1, revealed. Revealed. Who's, who's initiating the action here? Jesus. He's revealing himself. It reminds me of Genesis 3 after Adam and Eve had failed. And they run and they hide from God. Who initiates the action? God comes looking for them. And The disciples have failed, and now Jesus comes looking for them. Verse 2, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, what a great name that is, and two other of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, 
I'm going fishing. So Jesus hasn't come yet. They're just waiting around, and Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And so they're in Galilee waiting for Jesus. And, you know, Peter, Peter's not the kind of guy who's just going to sit around. You know, if, if you're the kind of person that wants to stay busy, wants to keep doing something, that's Peter. So Peter's like, I, I'm going fishing. We'll, we'll, when he gets here, he gets here. And so he goes fishing, and there's lots of speculation about whether this is a good idea or a bad idea, and this is one of those things, I think, that we, get, we lose the forest for the trees. Um, the thing to note, the important thing here, is that they fish all night, and they catch nothing. It's one of those days where even the thing that you're good at doesn't go right. And nothing is a really good backdrop for what's about to happen. Verse 4. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, friends, do you have any fish? Uh, this is just fishermen talk. I, don't, I'm, I saw the fishermen across the bridge when we were driving in, so I assume you have this kind of thing. Just fishermen small talk. Catching anything? They biting out there? But it probably stings a little bit, doesn't it? Because these are professional fishermen, and they've caught nothing. And all they can say is, nope. And so, as fishermen will do, Jesus gives them some advice. Cast the net over there on the other side of the boat, and you'll find some. And unlike fishermen would do, they take the advice. So they cast it in, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. This has happened before. We'll come back to that in a minute, though. Verse 7. That disciple whom Jesus loved, this is John's way of referring to himself. You might think it is arrogant, maybe. I, I kind of think that this, it, John is so, identifies himself as the one Jesus loves. He is so in touch with God's overwhelming love for him that this is just the core of who he is. Wouldn't you want to be identified that way? Also, John's all, John and Peter are like brothers. They're always kind of poking at each other, but maybe he's this part of it. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. So John sees first, then tells Peter, and then they react each in their own way. John is a rationalist. John is the thoughtful one. He, he surveys the situation. He takes in the data, and then he, he acts with measured action. And that's John. Like when they were running to the tomb, John gets there first. He lets you know that. <laughs> he gets there, but then he waits outside the tomb. Let's, let's, let's see what's going on here. Peter catches up out of breath, big and sweaty. Boom, right into the tomb. You know, I'm here. Right, so that's them. Peter is the first one to act. Right? He's impulsive. He's passionate. And so here, when John tells him, because he's the one that sees it, he lets you know that. <laughs> it's the Lord. Peter does what Peter does. He throws himself into the sea. Now, there's no indication that Peter gets to the shore first, is there? <laughs> I, I imagine Peter out there just flailing his arms and kicking. And, you know, I don't even know if he knows how to swim. He's just... And then the boat comes floating by. 
John's in there reading a book or something. Hey, Peter, having a nice swim? Peter, he just leaves the other guys to deal with the nets because he's, he's passionate. This is classic Peter. For Peter, it, it doesn't feel like faith or love or worship just to sit in the boat. He's got to do something. So here's the first big point I want you to see. Peter often, and I think we do the same, mistakes passion for faith. He confuses passion for faith. Now, passion is a good thing. Uh, Some of us could probably use a little more passion in our lives. But passion is not a reliable indicator of how we will think and feel and act over time. In the moment, passion makes you feel really courageous, doesn't it? Really confident and committed. But this, and this is why Peter has such a hard time imagining that he could ever feel because he just feels so strongly. Ever fail, yeah. Remember in Luke 22, Jesus said, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. I've prayed for you that you may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter says, Lord, I'm, I'm ready to go with you to prison or to death. He so much passion. And so Jesus is coming to Peter and saying, brother, you need help. And Peter's saying, I got this. Peter thought, how could I fail? I, and I can't imagine it. I feel so strongly and committed about this. Of course, Jesus knows the passion will fade. But notice, he's speaking forgiveness and restoration into Peter's life before it even happens. When you've turned. I've prayed you may not fail. Looks like you're going to. When you've turned, strengthen your brothers. Forgiveness, restoration. But Peter wants none of it. He wants to prove himself, as always. Peter's faith, you see, was built on the foundation of his faithfulness, not the foundation of Christ's faithfulness. How do you know if you're doing that? How do you know if you're putting your confidence in yourself, in your faithfulness, in your passion, rather than in God? Let me give you some, a few diagnostic questions. I, I looked through Peter's, all of Peter's life, came up with about 14 questions. I'll just give you four. Are you naive about the work of the enemy? Are you conscious of the fact that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and the dark forces? There are forces at work in this world, in your life. There's a lion that seeks to devour you. Are you, are you naive about that? Peter, it seems like he doesn't know what he's up against. When you hear about someone else's failure, do you think to yourself, oh, I can never do that? Are you willing to be served? Peter has a hard time receiving help and care and service from others, even Jesus. Remember that? You don't wash my feet. Last question. Do you serve and obey and give to improve your standing with God or because of the standing you already have with God? So as you work through the questions like that, you begin to see, maybe I'm confusing passion, commitment for faith. Now, passion, dedication, action. 
good things, but not the same thing as faith. And I want us to be careful here. I don't want us to get this wrong. So if you've been bored until now, make sure you pay attention to this. Faith produces these things. Faith produces passion and action and works. James says faith without works is dead. Faith produces works, but not the other way around. And if you get these reversed, you'll end up just trying to prove yourself to God rather than trust in Him. This is where Jesus is taking Peter in this conversation to see these things about Himself. Verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Now, so when Peter comes ashore, he sees Jesus by a charcoal fire. And the only other place we see a charcoal fire, that phrase, is in, in John 18 and what was happening there. That's the fire in Caiaphas's courtyard. This is not coincidental. Jesus has put this fire together for a reason. He wants to take Peter back to that night. Verse 10. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you've just caught. And so Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. What a gracious invitation. Well, I don't know what Peter thought Jesus was going to say, but... The first thing he says is, come and, have, come and have breakfast. Already there is such a contrast between this fire by the sea and that other fire in the courtyard where, Peter, where it was dark and cold and Peter was alone. And here it is the light of the morning. It is warm. And he's not alone. Jesus is there and the disciples are there. Come have breakfast. Now, after breakfast, Jesus digs a little deeper. You knew he was going to get there. Verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, when he says, do you love me more than these, he means these guys. Here's why I say that. This takes us back to that same conversation they had after the Last Supper. Remember Matthew 26. Jesus said to the disciples, you will all fall away. Because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So it is written means it is going to happen, like God has determined it. And Peter answers him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Another classic Peter moment. Jesus says, it is written. And Peter says, well, not for me. Peter is coming to Jesus saying, hey, I will not fall away. Even though they may fall away, and between you and me, they, I can see that happening. But not me. I will never fall away. And so Peter not only mistakes passion for faith, he also tries to prove his faith by comparing himself with others. He defines his worth. He defines his strength. He defines his success by comparing himself to others. Peter had put himself above the others in this moment. Jesus says, you will all fall away. And Peter says, well, I know who you're talking to. I know. I got it. Always thinks he's the exception. And now here they are all with Jesus again. And Jesus is asking Peter, do you still, you still love me more than they do? 
You still want to build your life on comparison? Jesus wants to restore Peter. That's what John 21 is about. He wants to restore Peter to himself, to ministry, but also to his community. They all go together. Sometimes when we fail, we just think, well, I just need to get right with God and move on. And I'm just telling you, getting right with God always involves being right with one another. Don't, don't separate these things in your mind. God doesn't separate them. Are you happy when your children are right with you, but they hate their brother and sister? No. I don't know. What it means for my kids to be right with me is to be right with each other. That's what I want. Now, look at Peter's answer. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. It's a simple answer, but it indicates that Peter has learned. Peter sees his error because he doesn't appeal to his confidence or sincerity to prove his love as he had so many times before. What does he appeal to? Jesus. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know, and that's all that matters, what you know. If I were in Peter's shoes, I, uh, I mean, it must have felt so good <laughs> to get it right for once for Peter, right? And if, if I were in his shoes, I would just, I would want to move on. I'd be like, okay, whew, glad we got that taken care of. Now, what's next? Jesus, let's get to work. And Jesus is not ready to move on just yet. Verse 16. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Why does Jesus ask Peter three times the same question? He answered him. Why does he keep asking can he not see that it hurts? John tells us, because he was there, Peter was grieved that Jesus asked him a third time. It hurt. Two things. One, remember, Jesus is reenacting the scene from the courtyard where Peter was asked three times and denied three times. Also, is it possible that Jesus wants Peter to be grieved? I don't know how you guys deal with grief in this culture, but we avoid it. We're uncomfortable with our own grief. We're uncomfortable with other people. We want everybody to be happy. And so we minimize things. We downplay things. We excuse things. We, we just try to avoid grief because we think grief is bad, but grief can be good. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about two kinds of grief. Worldly grief is when we look at our sin and our failure and it, it makes us feel embarrassed or worthless. And so we either want to like just give up or we want to vindicate ourselves. And either way, Paul says, worldly grief leads to death. But godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. There is a grief that helps you Turn to Jesus and find life. And that is where real healing and restoration can happen. Jesus is taking Peter there. 
And we see a little glimpse of this restoration because each time Peter answers the question, Jesus responds with, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. Maybe, maybe you feel that God is angry with you because of your failures or that God has no use of you because of things you've done or things that have been done to you. Listen to his invitation this morning to you. Come and sit. Let me feed you. Now, get up and go. Feed my sheep. That's his invitation to us. Peter's story helps us see not only why we fail. We confuse passion for faith. We build our sense of identity in comparison to others. It also helps us see what to do when we fail, which we all do. What do you do when you've failed? This story tells us to look not to our achievements, our confidence, nor to how we compare with others, but to Christ. It's not about our faithfulness. It's about his faithfulness on our behalf. Of course it is. Of course it is. There, you know, in this meal and all these things are coming back, all these flashbacks to Peter's mind, he's got to be thinking, of course the Lord loves me. Of course he can restore me. There were so many clues along the way, weren't there? There were these signposts pointing to the grace of God. And Peter just missed most of them. And, and as you know, it's easier to see these things in hindsight, isn't it? In our own lives even. We come through a hard time, and we think God is, is, is not thoughtful of us. And we get through that, and we're like, oh, of course, I see it now. So here's how I want to close. I want to revisit some of the details in the story. I didn't give you everything. Let's revisit some of these details, and as we go, let these point you to God's grace and glory in your own life. Galilee. That's where they are. This is the first clue. Before his death, Jesus told the disciples, you will all fall away, but after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And so the fact that they are all there, that this is where they are, they're in Galilee with Jesus, that is a sign of his sovereign grace. He goes before them, not to condemn them, but to restore them. Are you afraid of failure? Are you in the midst of a great failure right now? What comfort it is to know that God has gone before you. He waits on the other side, not to condemn you, to restore you. The miracle of the fish. I said this, is, this had happened before. In Luke 5, when he called the disciples, they had been out fishing and they caught nothing. And they came to shore and Jesus told them to cast the nets on the other side. And they took in a huge number of fish, and Jesus said, from now on you'll be catching men, you'll be fishing fishers of men. That was their calling, to be fishers of men. And now they've blown it. Maybe they're thinking, well, I guess we're going to go back to fishing fish now. But here Jesus shows up and does the same miracle, as if to say, I'm, I've still got work to do. 
And it is still my delight to do it through you. Can God use you? Do you really believe He can use you? And not just can He, of course He can, but it would be His delight to use you for His kingdom purposes. Oh, well, Pastor, but I, but you what? You denied Him three times? You threw your brothers under the bus? Is that a phrase here? That sounds really graphic if it's not a phrase. He would delight to. The charcoal fire, breakfast by the fire. Listen, this is important. In the process of healing and restoration in our own lives, Jesus is not going to pretend that it didn't happen. Your friends may tell you, oh, just you know, forget about that. Think positive. Move on. Jesus is not going to do that. He's going to help you grieve the things that have happened, to repent of those things and to be healed. Maybe you've had things come to mind today, memories that you kind of want to push down. That's probably the very place where Jesus wants to meet with you and have a talk. So is there something from your past that the Lord wants to deal with, sin that you want to hide, sin that's been committed against you? Are you willing to come to to the fire and talk? Jesus says, come have breakfast with me. How do you think God responds to your failure? Like if you ran into Jesus in Lagos this week, what do you think his first words would be to you? I saw you. I think they'd be something like, hey, do you have time for for a drink or coffee or breakfast? Let's go get something to eat. It's on me. If you don't have an imagination for those being Jesus' first words to you, then you're saying something like, oh, oh, Lord, so glad to run into you. Please, please come back another day when I have it together. Listen to me. That day never comes. The invitation is to come now. Humble yourself now. Trust him now. Be reconciled with your brothers and sisters now. Give your life to the mission of God in Lagos now. Not when you're ready, because Jesus stands ready for you. He ends with, do you love me? What a great question. You can't get around it. You can't point to your achievements. You can't point to the failures of others. All you can say is yes or no. Do you love me? The truly astounding thing is is that Jesus is asking this question. Think about this. Why why do we ask someone if they love us? Why does a woman ask a man, do you love me? Because she loves him. She wants to know if that love is reciprocated. You don't go around to strangers and say, do you love me? Uh, Maybe that's what we're doing on social media, but we would never say that. The fact that Jesus asked this question means that he's telling Peter that he loves him. Peter, I love you. Do you love me? This is the gospel. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Romans 5.8 God demonstrates his love for us in this 
while we were still sinners. In the middle of our failure, Christ died for us. 1 John 4, in this is love. The love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. We love because He first loved us. Restoration starts there. Identifying yourself as the one whom Jesus loves. God has always been out in front of us. His love precedes our sin and failure. Whatever ups and downs you've had, God has been at work in your life all along. He knows all about you. And He stands before you, not to condemn, but to heal and restore. Will you look to Him today and find life? Can we go to him in prayer together? I would like to do that. Here's how I want to do this. God's been speaking to us, I trust, and I want us to be able to respond to him. And so I'm going to ask you a few questions, coming back to some of these clues, some of these signposts, and would invite you to respond to those questions in prayer. You can pray by yourself. You can pray out loud. I don't know if this is how you normally do it, but you can pray with each other. But let us, as the people of God, pray. Let's look to him. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.